You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We are Canada's number one tech radio show. We talk about the uh, entire world of technology, everything from social media, smartphones, computers, electric cars, and connected homes, and so much more. Uh, we have a great program today. We will uh, be chatting about Starlink, Elon Musk's uh, internet satellite company that uh, is beaming internet down to remote locations. Well, you're going to be able to use that in an RV now which I think a lot of people were waiting for. I think you're waiting for that. Yes and no, because I don't like the price. And we'll tell you that if you uh, keep listening. Uh, we'll also be chatting with the folks, the folks over at Urban Logic. It's a Vancouver-based Canadian company that is working with uh, different government cities around the world to actually help them use the data that they're collecting. So as you can imagine, governments collect a lot, especially on a city level, traffic lights, traffic sensors, crash reports they collect so much they don't even know what to do with it all no and as you can imagine john do you think any of these different government agencies talk to each other of course not no well this company is trying to bring all that information together using ai to get meaningful reports to save money and save lives and a lot of time Yes, instead of months, they can do it in minutes. Uh, and we'll uh, be looking at a cool new piece of tech coming out. It's kind of like those old viewfinders, John. Viewmasters. Viewmasters. I keep getting the name wrong. Uh, remember those things that well, made by Mattel, weren't they? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Uh, they took the little circular discs that had little pictures on them, and then you just kind of click through the pictures. And, <laughs> and they were, you would collect them, too, because you go to Disneyland, you get one from Disneyland? Yes, and then you'd have that f memory for ever. Well, now you can make your own kind of memories, 3D memories, not only pictures, but videos. Uh, yeah, which is really cool. It, it is actually a really cool little device. Uh, let's get into some of the tech news, uh, John, some uh, interesting things happening in the digital world. Samsung, uh, they are obviously known for their tech, their smartphones. They also make a wide range of appliances as well. Well, they have a fridge part of their bespoke fridge line, you can have your photo or any image you want put onto that fridge now for only $500 US. Well, it's $250 a panel. Okay. So you think about a fridge has multiple, like each door basically. Is a panel. Yeah. So you yeah. could have one photo on all the panels or you could have different photos on each panel or a little collage on each one. Like it's kind of neat. And it's honestly, it feels more useful than putting the internet or a TV screen on a, on your fridge. Yeah. Which seemed like a cool idea at the time, but like how fast does that get outdated? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But 500 bucks, would you spend 500 bucks to put f like, like a, a photo on your fridge? Well, I suspect this isn't a $200 fridge either. <laughs> so <laughs> if you can afford the fridge, you can afford the 500 bucks yeah. to put, I mean, it doesn't have to be a photo. It can be like, like an abstract art image or anything really. Yeah. Anything to match your decor. I yeah. mean, it, it does look kind of cool, but you know, it's, it's a nice little customization feature for probably a fairly non inexpensive fridge. Yeah. But so if you're design heavy, yeah, you want a certain look, something to think about. Should get one for the office. Yeah, I don't know if we can afford <laughs> afford the fridge. Uh, also in the uh, the tech uh, news here, uh, this is kind of interesting, John. Tesla, they have built up a really great supercharger network worldwide. I think they've got over thirty thousand superchargers, 
which is a great thing for Tesla owners. Well, in Europe, they're opening those up now to non-Tesla owners, which I think a lot of those folks are happy about. But I know you're not happy about that. No. You don't want any competition no. for your charger. No. <laughs> I'm greedy. Like already uh, here in Vancouver, some of the supercharger uh, stations, they are jammed, packed. Like yeah. if you go to like Tawasson Mills or any of them in Richmond, they are just like there's lineups certain times a day. Yeah. and I, uh, That makes sense. Do I want to share that with Ukea people? <laughs> <laughs> Soon you will have to. Well, we don't know when it's coming to North America, but it's uh, opened up into eight countries now in Europe. I think like Sweden, UK, I think Spain uh, as well. What makes it a little easier over there though, John, is that uh, Tesla went with the the CCS standard for the cables or the, the plugs. Yeah, the good standard. Yes. That's what my Kia has. Yeah. Here in North America, for whatever reason, they went with their own proprietary standard. Of course. Yeah. Anyway, um, they haven't covered the pricing yet. Uh, It will be more expensive for non-Tesla car owners. But, you know, obviously another place to charge Right. The more options, the better. I think so. I guess the interesting question is, in Europe, like you mentioned, they don't have to change the charger cords and stuff like that yeah are they going to be adding more cords or are we going to have to be expected to get adapters for the existing well that's the thing here right yeah like because you can get an adapter like for your kia you could get an adapter that would work with my tesla home charger yeah but i think it's like 200 bucks or something yeah or more yeah it might be more actually yeah but but yeah i i think it's interesting because they talk about the higher rates for non-tesla owners because of the fact that they're going to have to make some service adjust adjustments to the site yeah to accommodate them which means offering additional maybe you know some of the stations will just be purely tesla and some of them will be universal yeah so we'll have to wait and uh see on that but uh no word on yet when that is coming into north america uh dyson I think a lot of us are familiar with their vacuum cleaners and their fans. They're betting hard on robotics. They are hiring thousands of new engineers to expand their robotics research teams. And so we've seen it. They've got the the little robot vacuum. Yep. But they are looking into so much more. Yeah, they put out a really interesting video showcasing some of the different engineering teams in in England uh, at their headquarters and some of the types of robots that they're, they're doing. And one interesting one that they showed was this looks like a giant robotic arm that actually can, has a vacuum tip at the end. It actually can go in and vacuum like in your couch cushions. Yeah. It like 3d maps your couch. Yeah. So it knows where the cushions are. It knows how to lift the cushions up yeah. to get the vacuum in there. It's only $500,000. <laughs> and is is pretty big, John. Yeah this, yeah, this isn't C-3PO. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but it's interesting the type of things that they, they're having to figure out. Like one of the engineers was talking there. I think it was Dyson. Yeah, and he's talking about spending half his time with his little kids picking up all their toys. Yeah. So, so they're working on robots that can actually pick up the toys off the floor. Yeah. And put them away. That's interesting. Or like another one's like picking up dishes. Yeah. But I, you know, I don't know how soon we'll see this type of technology. Like, number one, the expense. Number two, where are you going to put these robots? 
Like well, my kitchen's already got no room. Well, it'll be like the Jetsons. It'll be like, what was her name on the Jetsons? George Jetson? Judy? No, the, the robot oh. maid. I forget. Alice? No, that's uh, Pretty Bunch. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to look that one up. But it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, obviously robotics is going to be part of uh, our future, but there's just so much still to figure out. Like, but It's interesting, though, because in, in the interview that we saw, basically they're talking about thinking 10 years out yeah at least so they're trying to solve problems now that they're going to have in a couple of years and how to make stuff that is durable enough to live in in an average home which also like the whole cost thing is a huge part of that because you, you can make it cheap and flimsy and it'll break really easily but no one will buy it but it's also like can they do it better than humans more efficiently yeah like because so many times like even um, you know, like the little robot vacuums, like the Roombas. Sometimes it's just faster to go and get, I have a Dyson <laughs> as yeah. well, like just a stick vacuum, just to get that. Right. And but, clean. But, you know, maybe in a, say, a medical situation, like a, in a hospital setting, they could have robots that come and clean up after the patients and stuff like that. Maybe in a scenario where putting a nurse in there or a cleaning staff would be problematic. Yeah. So. Interesting. There's times. lots of potential implications, I think. You are listening to Get Connected, Canada's number one tech radio show. We still got a lot more to talk about uh, today. Uh, later on in the program, uh, we will be chatting to the folks over at Urban Logic, really cool company based in Vancouver, British Columbia, that works with governments, city governments, getting all the information from the different government databases, especially when it comes to things like uh, traffic and helping uh, figure out better traffic flows and potentially reducing traffic fatalities as well by amalgamating that data using artificial intelligence so people can make some informed decisions when they're planning cities. And it doesn't take months for them to come up with those decisions. No, it's really fascinating. But up first, after the break, Starlink has a new RV plan that lets buyers uh, of their uh, Starlink satellite internet service Take their internet wherever they go. You're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. Let's talk about uh, some upcoming mobile internet, John. Like high-speed mobile internet. Uh, This is especially great for people that live in remote areas and now uh, apparently for RV users. We've talked a lot about Starlink in the past. This is one of Elon Musk's companies. SpaceX, another one of his companies, launching uh, hundreds of these satellites into low Earth orbit that provide internet access. And we've spoken with a few people, uh, I think over in Ontario, John, one of your friends, mm-hmm. uh, uses it and changed his life. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... If you don't have good internet, you'll pay anything to get good internet. Yeah. Because you don't have good internet. So it's interesting, though, that... Anyone can get a Starlink terminal. Yes. It's a, it's a little box with a, an antenna that you have to put, you know, uh, outside or on the roof of your house or wherever. It's not giant. No, it's no. big plate size. Yeah. Uh, and so in Canada, with tax and shipping, I think that comes to about 930 bucks. Yeah. Which, that's no small chunk of change. Yeah. Uh, but then the monthly uh, fee, what is it, like 140 bucks, 150 bucks? I think it was about 140 Canadian yeah. For, yeah. for the monthly fee. And, and 
they keep improving the the up and download speeds on it. Yeah, uh, as they roll out the service, I don't think it's in beta anymore. No, I think it's actually. But again, if you don't have access to high speed, I remember uh, one of my former business partners. He lived out in a farm out in Abbotsford, and they couldn't get high speed out there. No, they just had dial-up internet. And for the kids out there, that was slow. <laughs> that was basically using your phone line. And it was almost to the point of unusable. Uh, he actually got satellite internet. Yeah. But it, it wasn't that great. No. The, la- the latency was crazy. And latency is basically means when you click on that web link, how long it takes for it to actually... Because it has to go up to space. Yeah. Does some processing up there and gets redirected back down to a base station on somewhere else. Yeah. And then you have to get a response back the same way. Yes. So Back you, down to your dish. Right. So the difference with this system, though, is it's much faster. It's, yeah, dramatically faster. But it's funny because I remember those old satellite services. They weren't inexpensive. No. So. Um, but, you know, it was kind of a godsend back then. Well, I mean, it was not reliable. It was not fast, but better than nothing. It's interesting, though. This particular solution, though, they they want you to sort of have it in a in a in a uh, stationary location. Yeah, a fixed location. Yeah, if you want to be able to move that location, you have to pay an extra thirty bucks a month. Yes, which is where this RV thing comes into play. Yeah, because your RV moves, of course, most of the time. Um, so I don't know. It's just kind of like, what are you getting for that thirty dollars? Yeah, why do you have to pay that? Yeah, I don't know. Like you, you don't have to pay a fee to use your cell phone somewhere else other than your house. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm going to John's house. It's another thirty bucks. <laughs> but yeah, so all in in Canada anyway, with the service and taxes, it's 192 dollars if you want to be able to move it around. But we were talking about this off air. You just got a new trailer. Yeah, and you love it. Yes, I stayed in it. Yeah, last weekend. And it's it's nicer than most people's apartments. <laughs> yeah. And certainly has more tech than most people's apartments. Yeah. I'm just trying not to crash the thing, John. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so driving tests. Yes. But because I said, you know, that's not ridiculous amount for you to pay. If you're going to be camping all summer, presumably in re- remote-ish places. I mean, Tofino's not that remote, but it also is not the best internet either. No, and that's the challenge, John, because like, I've stayed at a few different sites now. You know, a lot of them, most of them have Wi-Fi. Yeah. But most most of the time is not good. Well, and we were in Tofino when it was just basically raining the whole time. Yeah. So everyone was in their trailer watching Netflix or doing something. Yeah, which just kills the internet for the whole right. campground. So I, my thought was for $192 a month, and maybe you only use it for one or two months of the summer when yeah. you're... When you're RV. Prime time, yeah. Yeah. You have your own internet access. It's probably way faster than the Wi-Fi at the campground. Yes, it is. So, and it's yours. Right. You're not sharing it with yeah. dozens, if not hundreds of people. Yeah. So, I mean, again, if you don't have good internet, you might pay anything to get good internet. In this case, we know how much that would cost. It's $192.10. Yeah. I mean, if you are working remotely. Yeah. Which often you do. Yes, I do. I am. I'm like on Zoom calls all day. Yeah. And I'm actually doing the radio show sometimes. So you can expense this. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> but then, but see then the challenge, John, I got to carry around this big satellite dish. But you just said it's not that big. It's not, but you know, 
you just start collecting all this stuff, right? And it's just more and more. Mm-hmm. And this is another thing. And you've got to be careful with it, right? Yeah. It's not like lumps of firewood. Lumps <laughs> of firewood? Firewood, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, 192 bucks a month. I mean, would you pay that? I don't have an RV. No. So. <laughs> no. But, but you would pay that much if you were in a remote location. Yeah, if I was yeah. going to be camping for a month, sure. Yeah. To be connected, especially if I was trying to work while I was there too. Some other alternatives, like um, especially down in the U.S. where it's a little more competitive, you can get those um, wireless hotspots. Right. But those are only as good as your cell, cell reception is. Yeah, I find though, in a lot of cases, most of the sites I've been to, the cell reception is not bad. I guess with an RV, you're not really going remote, remote. You're going kind of touristy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not one of those, they call them boondockers that go to places that don't have any power or hookups. You don't like to get off the grid? No, I, I wouldn't mind, but, you know, my my better half uh, prefers having electricity. <laughs> and you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't blame her. Like, I, I like it as well. Yeah, I don't think you could go cold turkey. No, I would have a hard time. Yeah. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. Still a lot more uh, tech to talk here on Get Connected. Uh, we'll be chatting uh, with Urban Logic, a really cool company that takes all the different layers of government data, especially when it comes to things like traffic and merges them together so that uh, cities can actually make some intelligent decisions about how they build things and how the traffic flows. You're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You are back with the program, Mike and John here. We're going to talk with an interesting uh, company here in Vancouver now that uh, helps with data for cities to help them do better urban planning. On the line, we've uh, got our guest. His name is Mark Masongson, and he is with Urban Logic. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thanks for having me. So tell us, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, what your company does. We're a GovTech startup that helps governments harness the data that they have access to, as well as the private sector data, uh, to better understand how their community behaves and, and the different needs in, in their, their um, different communities. And so how do you get this data? Well, we start with helping the governments harness their existing data. So, for example, transportation departments, they'll have, um, you know, road sensors and and different types of of, of, um, uh, traffic reports. But the problem with, with government is governments are composed of a lot of different departments, agencies, et cetera. And so they're all siloed. So what Urban Logic does is we collect data from across federal, provincial, local governments, or in the United States, federal, state, county, local. Um, and then we take it between different departments. So transportation, economic development, urban planning, police, et cetera. And we all put that into one shared data picture. So you have a single pane of glass view of, of all the government uh, data sources and, and, and community behaviors. You're saying the governments don't talk to each other? <laughs> Sadly, they don't. Um, and uh, it's it's one of the things is also um, you if you if you have the issue which is that governments collect enormous amounts of data and they don't share it with each other. If they're not even doing that, then they have a they're having a bigger problem, which is catching up with where the modern data picture is going. So with all you know the future potential of connected vehicle data and and all the the data from mobility devices, all these things could feed into a smarter picture of communities. But the governments don't even have a handle of their own data, so they they're not even in a position to even think about external data sources. So we provide that one touch point for all data sources um, for different jurisdictions, different levels of governments, public private sector, all in one place, powered by artificial intelligence. 
So basically you're taking data like from the transportation department, you said like road sensors, traffic lights and things like that uh, from the police, I guess would be crime reports. Is that accurate? What kind of information would they get? Yes. Yeah, so like, uh, for example, if you look at the uh, city of San Jose, one of our, our earliest clients, in the United States. So we took, you know, the, the inductive loops, those are those magnets. So you'll see, it looks like tar lines and squares and circles before the intersection. So there's a magnet. So we'll take those data. So we'll take, you know, um, computer vision cameras. So cameras at intersections that can count cars. Um, and then we'll also merge it, for example, with, you know, um, when a real estate developer is proposing a development, they'll do their own traffic studies. So that's actually in the economic development department, but that could be really used to enrich traffic data. Um, um, and then with the police department, what we did there is we took in uh, the city of San Jose 77,000 crash reports. So once you layer crash reports with the mobility data, you can start to see where patterns emerge. So when you have this type of, of congestion pattern or this kind of, of, of movement pattern, you start to get fatal car crashes. And once you have that kind of um, uh, predictive picture, you can use artificial intelligence to find patterns and, and, and derive insights. So, I mean, you could essentially save lives with this as well. Like if you can get all that data in one place and see, hey, um, crash points are happening in these areas all the time. Uh, maybe we should do something different. That's exactly it. And actually, it's a perfect example of, of how to save lives by by breaking down data silos. So we just talked about how we take, you know, um, traffic data and merge it with crash reports to, to predict crashes. Well, one of the things that the city of San Jose and our data science team won an award for is they use artificial intelligence to find out that the missing piece of the picture that drives road fatalities isn't road design. It's actually the built environment. So where do you have apartment buildings, you know, a particular density of apartment buildings across from, you know, I'm, I'm you know, exaggerating here, but across from a 7-Eleven with no crosswalk. Those types of things where originally the governments, when they looked at it as a data silo problem, they were thinking that, well, we'll, we'll put intersections here, we'll put stoplights here. Well, they, what the urban planning decisions of what types of homes and what types of buildings are built, that was actually a bigger piece of the puzzle, but that was in the urban planning department. Not until urban logic came to the picture did they share data from, from the urban planning department to the police crash reports to the traffic um, sensors all in one picture and find out that you can actually predict um, what will lead to a uh, fatality in the future. And so I think those are the types of, of, of work that we can do to break down data silos. Like, How much does this cost governments? Like, Is this an expensive endeavor? It's a fraction of the cost of what they're currently spending. So, for example, one of our clients, they used to spend $187,000 and seven months of time to um, just to just to get an accurate track uh, of traffic. Um, so, you know, for that particular thing uh, with, with that city now, it costs less than $25,000 to have the platform uh, and they get their result in less than four seconds. Actually, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, the state of Texas won an award um, also for using our, our system for artificial intelligence, um, where they found out that it used to take them um, six weeks just to um, get to to just ingest all the different road sensors into their system, um, and now within with urban logic, it happens less than ten minutes. So if you think of the 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 cost of a transportation engineer spending six weeks copying and pasting from a PDF file to an Excel spreadsheet, um, and then that happening now in in ten minutes, that's an enormous savings for government. That's what I was going to say. Is like it sounds like you have a lot of different data from a lot of different systems, sensors, probably humans, and you just throw that all into a bucket and then the AI sort of figures it all out? Is that how it works? That's a part of it. Um, I think the one of the key things that that we focus on, though, is understanding the unique needs of, of uh, public servants and communities. So um, part of our theory is that the it's never been a shortage of data. Governments has they're, they're drowning in data. It's not never been a shortage of technology. I think the bigger problem is that 
public servants and governments have very specific needs, whether it comes to privacy protection or understanding the particular use cases that a lot of the um, existing software out there wasn't really designed around. So a lot of the work that Urban Logic does is we identify a specific use case. So a, a perfect example is fire safety. Um, we recently uh, won a contract to provide all 700 fire departments in the state of Minnesota with the ability to understand where the next fire will happen and why are people dying in fires. Um, and if you think about that, that is partly uh, uh, an issue of, of collecting the data and partly an issue of artificial intelligence. But a lot of the work our team did is actually sitting down with the state fire marshal in Minnesota and, and getting to know that, you know, the people who respond to fires and collect these data are oftentimes volunteer fire, you know, firefighters. Um, and so you have to understand, like, what is their worldview? Uh, what is their education level? And and building a product and a use case specifically around their very unique needs that that's more than just a data problem. It's an end user understanding. How dis like how difficult is it though to get all these data points, these systems to talk to you? Like, because it's all on on different software and computers. Like, I would imagine like it's hurting cats in some cases. You're exactly right. I think there, there's two there's two challenges. The first is technological, um, and we're very lucky to have some of the world's best software engineers and data scientists on our team. And so the bulk of, of our work, even though we do amazing stuff, like we, we've won awards for using artificial intelligence to predict crashes and, and the like, um, but actually the bulk of our work actually is designing software that can take data, you know, in, for example, one city, we're ingesting from 400 different databases. All of them have a different schema. All of them have, have a different ETL pipeline. And so there's a lot of work building a system that can that can uh, process that. But the, the bigger problem is oftentimes um, with, um, it's uh, frankly a culture change um, where, um, you know, I think, um, depending on on, a on 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 the government the different personalities there sometimes they don't want to share data or they're not comfortable sharing data and they don't understand the value of sharing data so i think sometimes it's it's a cultural change as much as a technological challenge we're talking uh, with mark over at urban logic a uh, vancouver company here that's uh, basically getting government computers and databases to to talk with each other to get relevant information especially for things like traffic and uh, hopefully avoiding uh, fatal crashes uh, as well what's what's kind of your your vision for the future uh then mark like what other kind of data points do you want to get in like what other things do you want to monitor and and use the ai for so I think that the the where we're going this is where you can have targeted interventions. So um, one of our, our most exciting projects is with the city of Toronto, where what we're doing is we're taking the data from you know, federal, provincial, local governments, and as well as private sector and small businesses. And what we are, are able to do then is understanding, you know, down to individual neighborhoods and community groups and industries, which businesses are coming back from COVID and which ones aren't. Because uh, we all know that that you know when when COVID happened, the government acted aggressively and and, and threw a lot of money at the problem. As we're exiting that phase, not everyone's going to come back from from COVID whole. So the, what we'll have to do is understand how to spend a limited amount of money to maximize the social benefit and in, in targeting interventions towards the people who really need the help coming back from COVID. So a lot of our work right now um, with the city of Toronto is identifying okay these. For the most part, people are coming back, but these individual industries, these particular neighborhoods are really struggling. And these are the types of areas where if you're going to do any kind of government intervention, you can really maximize the impact of the taxpayer dollar. Wow, like actually monitoring it in, in, <laughs> in less than like eight years. <laughs> That's amazing. Mark, I want to thank you for joining us. Where can people find out more information about Urban Logic? I can visit our website, uh, www.urbanlogic.com, and that's uh, Urban Logic spelled with a Q at the end, not a C. 
Thank you for joining us today. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about uh, those old-fashioned uh, Viewmasters. Remember those, John? I do. Well, there's a camera that can actually make uh, 3D pictures and videos, and you can watch them back. We'll tell you all about it back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. John, I, I want to talk about uh, a cool little package you got in uh, the, the other day. You were like a camera nerd as well. Yeah, yeah. Among many other nerd I have things. many nerd nerd handles on my belt. You do. Uh, and so I, I love it, though, because you're always doing some really innovative things. You you know, you've done cool stuff with the, like these 360-degree cameras and 3D cameras. And you've got a, a new one in here that it almost looks like kind of a... You remember the viewfinders? Viewmaster. Viewmaster, sorry. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. It, it, it basically is that. It's a stereoscopic camera from a company called Canda, with a K, and it's called the QCam Ego. Yeah. And it's a very small, actually, it's like the smallest little point-and-shoot cameras you remember. It looks like a mini cassette tape almost. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And it's got two lenses on the front. Yes. Uh, and basically a giant screen on the back. And it allows you to take stereoscopic photos and video. Yeah. So... The really cool thing is, like a Viewmaster, you get that depth of field effect. Right? But you have to, it comes with a little view attachment. Yeah, it comes yeah. with like a little lens uh, attachment that literally just magnetically attaches to the camera yeah. to view it. But there's also an app that you can actually use these uh, photos and videos on your phone. Now, this device isn't quite out yet. So the app isn't fully working for me yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to spending a little bit more time with this uh, over the next few weeks and we'll do a full review on getconnectedmedia.com. But it's really kind of fun because you can get some very immediate cool photos like a Viewmaster style, yeah. but you can also shoot video that way too, which is kind of cool. Yeah, you showed me one of them. Uh, you and um, your uh, your gal pal were at a pub drinking. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, it was like a Viewmaster from the old days. But Kind of 3D, yeah. kind of not. And video. And video yeah. and sound and everything too, yeah. yeah. yeah and it's I just wonder like, so outside of viewing it on the device itself, where can you put this? Well, I think the intent is to put it on, on social media and other places like that. Yeah. So I'm hoping that the app actually has some support for at least simulating that effect, kind of like maybe like a boomerang, kind of like so you can actually see. Yeah. And you remember 3D photos on Facebook and stuff like that too? Yeah. Like that kind of thing? Yeah, right? which are kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because the difference with like, you know, the nice thing about this is there actually is two lenses that are distanced. There, there's some space between them. So you actually get a different perspective. So that's that's how you get that that effect. And so you actually have some um, pretty high quality lenses to, to capture those effects. So a little bit more so than just converting your iPhone photos into, into 3D. And what's it called again? It is called the <laughs> QCam, Q-O-O Cam Ego. And it is a, a stereo 3D camera yep. uh, from a company called Canda with a K. Canda with a K. Yeah. Almost Canada. Almost Canada. But Canda with a K. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show, on every Sunday or Saturday nights in Toronto across the Chorus Radio Network. We've got a great program uh, tomorrow, including talking about cold storage for your Bitcoin or your cryptocurrencies. And Amazon Alexa. It can actually check... What's wrong with you now? It will ask you for your symptoms and uh, give you a diagnosis. Is it accurate? You'll have to tune in. I want to thank John and Robin and all the rest of the folks that helped put the program together. We'll see you again next time. 
You're back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. A little bit of time uh, left. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show. It's on every Sunday across the Chorus Radio Network, and that would be Saturday nights in Toronto. And, of course, you can check them all out on our webpage, www.getconnectedmedia.com. We talked a lot about your your love of retro gaming, and you've actually got a Vectrex, one of those all-in-one game consoles from back in the 80s. 1982. I love that thing. I, I wish I had one. Yeah. I mean, you can buy them on eBay. How much are they? Like a thousand bucks? Yeah. I mean, some of them can be had for as little as $500 yeah. US. Um, but I've, I've seen some pretty bad horror stories because these are fairly fragile CRT yeah. devices and people get them shipped oh after my. winning those auctions and they're just destroyed. I can imagine. Yeah. So, but you've uh, come across a little... Um, Super cartridge for yours. Yeah, well, we we talked about the Pytrex before, which is basically a little Raspberry Pi that basically uh, boots up in place of the operating system that the Vectrex has. But somebody's actually made a really cool little multi-cart, they call it. They've taken all the homebrew games, all the original games, and even some extra stuff and crammed it all onto one EEPROM, onto a little PCB. And his goal was to make it as cheap as possible so that more people can get get these things. And uh, I ended up getting one. It was about, I think, 35 bucks with shipping to Canada. <sighs> that's nothing. Yeah. I mean, it, it was the shipping was kind of ridiculous to Canada, but that's the way the world is right now. And he's in, he's in Ohio. But he makes them all himself. His family, they're all involved in it. It's kind of a cool process. They have a really great video on YouTube about how they make these things. And I thought it was really kind of cool that he just took the best of the community homebrew software all the original games, which are all abandonware. And there's even some versions of the games, the original Vectrex games that he has on this cartridge that have things like Infinite Lives or some other cheat already enabled. So you okay. can actually experience the entire game. So That's pretty cool. All built onto one. All, you just plug it in and you can just... It's got a really cool menu system. Yeah. I might have to save my money up and get one of these yeah. off of eBay, the original consoles. I want to thank all the folks that helped put uh, Get Connected together, including John, my co-host and producer, and of course, uh, Robin back at the studio. We'll see you again next time.